Um, we are starting a new series, and we're going to be here for a while. We're going to camp out here for a while. And I've been wanting to choose this for a while, actually, of just doing a series. Some of you know if, if you had a certain Bible, maybe growing up, where you had your red-letter Bible. How many know what a red-letter Bible is? Okay, a lot of you know what it is. It's actually, when it's in red, it means it's the words of who? Jesus, right. So people are like, okay, did I say it right? If, if you don't know the answer, just say Jesus. Okay, that's the best way to do it. And, and so I want to kind of dive in and looking at the words of Jesus and understanding what they mean and look at the different things that Jesus talked about. What did Jesus have to say about this? What did Jesus have to say about this? And today we're going to be looking at what Jesus has to say about eternal life. Now, if you were in church in the 90s, you would know exactly what this is. Look up at the screen here. What, how many remember what that was? <laughs> Yell it out if you know what it is. What would Jesus do? So if you grew up anywhere near the night, remember, actually, the what would Jesus bracelets were like, I think they started that, the what would Jesus do uh, bracelets. And um, it's interesting that whole thing came about from a book that was actually written in the late 1800s, 1896, by Charles Sheldon. And the book was called In His Steps, what would Jesus do? And since then, it has sold 50 million copies. So that's a pretty popular book. And what the book does is it actually challenges readers to consider what would Jesus do before each decision we would make. It challenges us to follow in his steps. And so the question I want to pose to you this morning is this. What would our lives look like if we really followed the words of Jesus? If we really listened to his words and apply them to our lives, how would our lives look different? What if we generally lived out what we believed about Jesus? How would, we, how would that um, help us in representing our faith to the world? You see, what we can do, and this is a mistake we can make sometimes in church circles, is we can do our church thing and maybe even our church activities, yet not have a desire to allow Christ to actually change us. And so the what would Jesus do actually challenged people to say, what would actually Jesus do in this particular situation? See, we can be part of a Christian culture and maybe even do Christian, quote, Christian things. But the question is, do we love our enemies? How would we treat those with a different belief than us? Are we willing to forgive? You see, these are all the things that Jesus challenges us to do when he speaks into our lives. Do our lives actually look different? Are the words of Jesus actually penetrating our hearts to the point where we're actually living it out? More than just saying, yeah, I'm a Christian or I believe in Jesus and I go to church and I do all those things. But, but are we so consumed with knowing Jesus that it actually translates in the way we live our lives? Now, when I was younger in my 20s, I joined our church softball team. There's a big league in South Carolina a lot of churches, and we have a softball team here too. And so we we're like, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to join this softball league. So I'm thinking, man, this is great. A bunch of churches getting together and playing softball. This should be wonderful. Everybody's going to treat each other really nice. And they're going to, why are you guys laughing? Guys, <laughs> you, you've seen the church softball league. And I got there, and I was kind of surprised. I'm like, man, there's like trash talking going on. And people getting thrown out of the game. And I remember one of the umpires actually said, and it's not funny, but he actually said, yeah, I don't see too much different from the church league into the secular leagues that I am. Now, that, that's not good. I only got thrown out of a couple games, so it's better than most of our team. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But really, it, what are we doing? I mean, are we reflecting 
what Jesus teaches. And I think that's a reflection on the church as a whole and maybe our lives if we're not careful. So that's why I want to spend the next few months looking at the words of Jesus and challenging us to actually believe and not just believe, but live out what Jesus said. And what we're going to dive into today, we're going to look at John, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 6. This chapter is incredible because it goes, the chapter goes from one of elation, like all these people are following Jesus, to one of deflation, where all of a sudden people just leave Jesus. And you're like, what, what happened from Jesus' popularity where all these people are following Jesus, and then all of a sudden, at one moment, they all walk away. And Jesus purposely gives some very difficult words, probably some of the hardest words in the New Testament are spoken here by Jesus. And I want us to dig into that and see why did Jesus challenge those that were following him at first? And what were the words that he said to them that caused them to walk away? We need to understand what Jesus says here. And so I want to give a little background here um, as we jump into John chapter 6. Many people were following Jesus for what he could do for them. And Jesus was feeding them. Jesus was healing them. And so Jesus' ministry is going to be very popular. And there's a swell of people, crowds that are following Jesus. And so at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's very popular, extremely popular, and large crowds are following him. So let's jump. We're going to look through John chapter 6, but let's look at the first two verses to help us understand what's going on here. John writes, he says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs. Now, I want you to just put a pin in the word signs because when John talks about Jesus' miracles, he doesn't actually use the word miracle. He'll use the word sign, and there's a reason why Jesus calls it a sign. So there was sign as he healed the sick. Now, it's at this time that Jesus feeds the 5,000, and many scholars believe you know, they didn't count women and children, but by the time you've counted women and children, it could have been as many as 20,000 people that Jesus feeds. And someone in this position could have used their popularity to benefit themselves. And maybe with this popularity and this swelling growth of people following him, many people would have written a book on church growth, or maybe they would have gotten invited to speak at a Christian conference. Right, and, you know, So there's this huge opportunity that could have been used to amass even a larger following. But what does Jesus do? Does he get caught up in the popularity? Does he get caught up in the crowds that are swelling? Is he consumed with wanting the crowds to be larger? What does Jesus do? Well, what we're going to see is Jesus does just the opposite, the complete opposite which wouldn't sell too many church growth books today. He does the complete opposite. After the miracle, the crowds keep following Jesus. And when they find Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he speaks these words to them. Listen to what he says, very sobering in verse 26. Jesus answers them, catches their heart, sees the motivation of their heart. He says, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. You're looking for me. He's not getting caught up in the popularity. He says, not because you saw the signs, there's the word again, signs, that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. 
So what Jesus does is he kind of catches the heart, the motivation of the crowd. See, the crowds were more interested in what Jesus could do for them than knowing more about Jesus. See, there was a purpose behind the signs. Alistair Begg, I was reading in his devotional, he said this in the devotional. He says, many times we want to be achievers, not believers. Many times we want to be achievers, not believers. Now, what did Pastor Begg mean by that? Well, I think what he meant by that is many times we follow Jesus for what he can do for us. Not necessarily understanding him or believing him in a greater, in a deeper way. Many times we follow him for how Jesus can help us achieve something in our life to get us into a better path. You see, Jesus' words are hard for a reason. Because he wants to check the motivation of those who are following him. Are they following him simply because their, their tummies are full and they see these great miracles? And that's what Jesus is checking in their motivation. You'll hear things like this many times. People will say, Jesus, if you just get me out of this jam, I'll follow you. Have you, ever, have you ever made a bargain with God before? I think we've all, if we're all honest with ourselves, we've done that, right? You make this bargain. God, if you just do this for me, then I'll follow you you. See, Jesus knew their hearts. They were interested in what benefited them. So the miracles, listen closely, the miracles were not just to perform miracles so that he could amass a huge crowd and a popular following. The miracles, John says, were signs that pointed to something greater. Listen, Jesus wants us to be attached to him, period, completely. See, what happens, I think, in our lives is when things don't work out the way we think or the way they ought to, it's very easy to get discouraged and blame God. And what happens is we lose sight of who Jesus is and how he wants to have a relationship with us. And what was happening, these people only wanted to have a relationship with Jesus for what he could do for them not for who he was, not that he was Messiah and that he was Savior. And so this is what Jesus' point was when he said the signs point to something greater. See, the people weren't interested in the signs. If they were, they would have sought out to know who Jesus truly was. So why does John use the word sign for Jesus' miracles? Well, the reason why John uses the word sign is because it's authenticated the divinity of Christ, his Messiahship. It authenticated who he was. He wanted people to turn to him, not the signs, not the miracle. Don't trust in this because your tummies are going to be hungry again. There's going to be another healing that's going to be needed to be accomplished in your life. He wanted them to trust him over everything else. See, this is very important for us to understand the reason why John uses the signs. He uses it for a reason because those that were following Jesus missed the bigger picture. They miss the bigger picture. Have you ever missed the bigger picture? It happens to all of us. Don't you ever, you just miss the bigger picture like, duh, why, why didn't I think this way? Um, we, how many of us know we all have opinions, right? Everybody has, can, can I, amen? We all have opinions about things. And, um, you know, really all Facebook is is just a, a platform for us to shout our opinions, right? Let's, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Don't throw any, don't throw any donuts at me. Um, Listen, listen, here's the thing. We all have opinions, and that's okay. We all have a right to have an opinion about what, what we think. But, but we can easily miss 
the relationship and our vigor to persuade someone to our side. You see what I'm saying? See, what happens is with our opinions, and we all have strong opinions about what we believe and what we think is important, but in our vigor to persuade people to our side, what we can do is we can end up destroying the relationships through our desire to be right. It's the saying that you can't see the forest for the trees, And the meaning is that we're so focused on one thing that we miss the big picture. So focused on being right that we miss the importance of the relationship. And this is what Jesus is saying. You're so focused on the miracle that you're missing the Messiah who is right before you, who is the Son of God, who has something far greater for you than just this sign or this miracle. See, we can be so focused on being right that we shipwreck the relationship. So one thing we need to keep in mind is how is my witness? When I'm speaking to someone who disagrees with me, how is my witness? Because the most important thing is not necessarily whether or not I got my point across and I was right and I yelled and I screamed and I did all this stuff and then meanwhile I shipwrecked that relationship and my witness for Christ is destroyed. Are my actions a good witness for Christ? This is Jesus' point. Those that followed Jesus didn't see beyond the miracle. They didn't see the bigger picture. And the reason for the miracle was not just the miracle, but it was to point to something greater. And so what John does is he uses the word sign to describe the miracle. People liked what Jesus was doing for them. They wanted him to give uh, them more bread and to perform more miracles. That's why they kept following him and tracking him down wherever he went. But Jesus wanted them to stop looking at the miracle alone. He pointed to something greater. Jesus says, just don't look at my finger. Look to where I'm pointing. Just don't look at the miracle. See where it's pointing. Now, we have a really smart dog named Tulip. And Tulip is 11 pounds of white, furry fluff. Very masculine when I'm taking her for a walk around the street. You know, just this cute little dog and all the kids love it and all the the women go, oh my gosh, your dog is so cute. You know, and I'm like, yeah, boy, I would like to have a nice chocolate lab or something. You know, it's a cool looking dog to walk down. You know, so that's our dog Tulip. But our dog Tulip, when you point, like, go get your toy. If I point there, she'll run and go get it. If I say, do you want to go for a walk? Go get your leash. Now, she doesn't actually grab her leash, but she knows where her leash is. And she'll go get her leash. In fact, our dog is so smart now that she knows how to spell. So even if we... Remember when parents... Get this. Remember parents when your kids were really little and you'd spell things out and they wouldn't know what you were talking about, right? And then they all of a sudden got wise to it, like they could learn how to spell. And then they're like, okay, I know what you guys are saying. Well, our dog, even if you say W-A-L-K... Her ears perk up because she knows she's getting ready to go out for a walk. So we can't use the word W-A-L-K anymore because she knows and then she'll drive us nuts and she won't let us go until we take her for a walk. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't look at my finger. Look to what I'm pointing to. The signs are pointing to something far much greater and better than just the miracle itself. And I think sometimes as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we settle. We settle. And Jesus says, I've got something far greater for you if you would just press in. If you would completely dive in to your relationship with me and completely just give yourself to me. I have so many greater things in store for you. But so many times we sell our Christianity short 
because we get disappointed with God. And you may be here today or you may be watching online and there may have been some disappointment at a church or a way people acted. And I'm sorry for that because that happens. And maybe there's some huge disappointment in your life that maybe you doubted God's love for you. But I want you to know that Jesus is a firm foundation. That he wants us to see past this world. Because this world is going to disappoint you. And Jesus, Jesus even told us that in John 16, 33. He says, I'm going to give you peace, but in this world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus says, when I give you myself, you'll be able to traverse through the difficulties of this world. Don't allow your circumstances and your situations to dictate your relationship with me. So their relationship with Jesus was very shallow. It was just based on what Jesus could do for them. And we need to all ask ourselves that question. How deep is my relationship with Jesus? Am I allowing the things of life and the difficult things of life to pull me away from Jesus or draw me into a deeper relationship with Jesus? Listen, we're all going to suffer and we're going to go through difficult things in our life. What does that cause us to do? Does that cause us to get deeper into our relationship with Jesus and to get a correct understanding and theology of suffering? Or do we back off and say, well, God must not love me or God must not care about me? See, that's a misunderstanding of God's character. And see, Jesus wanted them to trust his character more than anything else. Because, listen, when Jesus taught, it's interesting if you read through the Gospels, At the beginning, Jesus performed a lot of miracles, but towards the end of his ministry, he did less and less miracles and more and more teaching. Listen, if your relationship is based on chasing experience after experience, you're going to have a shallow relationship with Jesus. You're going to have a shallow relationship. But if your relationship with Jesus says, hey, I'm going through a difficult thing, God, are you causing me to draw deeper in you, to know more about you, that even in my suffering that you're going to be there for me? See, that's going to cause you to draw deeper, to trust his word and his character more than the situation that you're going through. And that's the kind of relationship that he wants. That's why Jesus' words are difficult for us to understand. See, the bread he gave them would only feed them for a short time, but Jesus wanted them to see his words that would lead them to eternal life, that actually he was the bread of life. Don't sell yourself short by just going to the physical thing, the experiential thing. But trust fully in me as the bread of life and you will never hunger or thirst again. Amen? Man, that's good preaching. I needed to hear that today. See, the sign pointed to his Messiahship, the Savior of the world. So Jesus points to the meaning of the the miracle in verse 27 of John 6. He says this. You would think that they they would have this aha moment. He explains it. He explains the miracle. He explains the meaning of the sign. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, do not work for food that spoils. Don't look at temporary things that are here one day and gone the next. He says, but for food that endures to eternal life. And then he said, duh. That's what he says. Which the Son of Man will give you. Will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He says, you're looking at the miracle. You're looking at it. I'm it. I'm the bread of life. So Jesus will go on to say that he's the bread of life. And this is the meaning of the miracle. Listen to what he says in verse 37 and 35 recorded for us. Then Jesus declares, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to who? To me. 
Don't, don't look at this physical thing. Look to me. You will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me, he will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and you still don't believe. All those that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I will never cast away. And so what Jesus does is he gives them the answer. And you would think that all these people would follow him and they would bow down to him as, as Messiah and they would believe, okay, you're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been anticipating all these years. You're it. But what happens? Jesus finished speaking these words and those that are listening began to grumble about Jesus. They didn't run to him. They didn't bow down to him and say, okay, we get it. You're the Messiah. All the Old Testament prophecies are come true in you. He speaks this right before them. The miracles authenticate who he is, but they were more concerned about the physical miracles than knowing if Jesus was the Son of God. That took a long breath without taking a break. Listen, listen, here's what he's saying. You're looking too much at the physical to find your satisfaction. And then begin to grumble. And this is what they said. They said, well, isn't, isn't, isn't this the Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Now, this was a backhanded comment. What they were saying is they knew about the scandal of Mary and Joseph. It was, it was an underhanded comment putting them down. Isn't this the Jesus of Mary and Joseph? Remember that? Remember that? Scandal, remember Mary and Joseph. See, then Jesus says to them some of the most controversial words in all the New Testament. He doesn't try to defend himself. What does he do? Now Jesus says to them, he says that that the bread is actually his flesh and you have no life unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no eternal life. Now, that's not the verse you want to give to a friend right off the bat or maybe memorizing a verse. I don't know if you've ever memorized that verse, but but listen, it's like, what is Jesus talking? You know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. What What kind of religion is this? What is Jesus talking about? And I want you to realize, obviously, Jesus doesn't mean this literally, but it was a test. It was a test to see if they would seek out the answer. Because many times when Jesus would give a parable, he would just leave it hanging. He he didn't give the answer right away. He'd want to see who would stay, who would want to listen, who would seek him out for the answer. And so what Jesus is actually saying, unless you believe in me and are completely satisfied in me, you cannot have eternal life. And Jesus is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. See, what Jesus is saying to them, don't follow me because of the miracles. Follow me because I am the only one who can give you eternal life. Why be satisfied in something that's only temporal when you can be satisfied in something that's eternal? See, this is where I feel like we can sell ourselves short in our relationship with Jesus. We run around looking for these temporal things to satisfy us for this next experience, next experience, next spiritual high. You'll be doing that your whole life. And Jesus says, I want you to experience me in all the highs and the lows of your life. And many times it's in those difficult things in your life that I'm going to show you the most. You see, what Jesus was doing was he was preparing his true disciples, his apostles, for the difficult life that they would have to live in following Jesus. He's preparing them. He says, it's not going to be easy. 
But if you trust in me and put your hope in me, I will walk with you through all these things. And what's guaranteed for you is eternal life with me. So I'll give my life for you. I'll do everything possible to bring life and hope and peace into your life. I'm going to die for your sins. And not only that, I'm going to, I'm going to conquer death and sin through the cross and through my resurrection to prove that I am the Son of God, that I am God, that you can completely put your hope in me. So this, after Jesus speaks all this, it, it, it caused a stir within the crowd and many were dissatisfied with Jesus' words. Now, here's some of probably some of the most, I would say, sad verses in the New Testament. And it's easy to remember this, John 6, 6, 6. It's easy to remember. This is a very sad thing that happens. After Jesus says all this, listen to what happens. You've got all these crowds, all these people following him. And then after this, this is what it says. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So now Jesus looks at the 12, those that are closest with him, those that were walking with him, those that Jesus called. And then Jesus says to them, do you want to go away as well? And then Simon Peter, he, man, he made a lot of mistakes. He was a bonehead many times, right, Peter? He made a lot, just like you and I, we're boneheads a lot of the times. He made a lot of mistakes. But Simon Peter looked at him, and I love this. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Notice what Peter trusted in. Did he trust in the miracle or did he trust in Jesus? He said, Jesus, you're the one who has the right words. The reason why I want us to go through the words of Jesus and spend three months doing this is because I want us to get this right as a church. I want us to know what's most important. I want us to know this is the things that Jesus cares about the most. This is how Jesus cares about your life. We need to understand, Jesus, what do you say? And how do you want us to live our lives so we're correctly doing that? And Peter understood that it was Jesus and Jesus alone that he should trust. You see, this is exactly where Jesus wants us to be with him. And I love the words of Peter when he says, where else would we go? And I want you to know that if you have Jesus, you have enough. And Jesus wanted his disciples and his apostles in that first church to know that he was enough. And that's it. Do you trust my words? Because it's my words that are going to get you through the difficult situations that you're going through. Those miracles will be long gone. That experience that you had with the feeding of the 5,000 be long gone, but do you trust my words? Are you trusting me? That's the thing that's going to pull you and help you to traverse through the difficult things in this world. Amen? So what are we trusting? And my, my question to you today is, why are you following Jesus? See, the answer should be this. I follow Jesus because he's the truth. Period. He's not one and many other so-called religious leaders or great thinkers or philosophers or religious leaders, Jesus says, I am the truth. I follow him because he's the truth, and it's through his words that we are set free. And it's through that truth that we are set free from the captive of our sins and the burdens of our sin. 
I like what Corey Ten Boone says here. He says, you can never learn that Jesus is all you need until Christ is all you have. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Um, Kathleen and I were uh, doing a devotion yesterday. Uh, we do this Lent devotional. And uh, this this verse popped up in Isaiah chapter 55. And I love this passage of Isaiah 55. The prophet is speaking for God. And God is calling out to the children of Israel who have left God in that relationship with him. They begin to serve the gods around them. They grossly backslid. And God is calling out to them. And God wants them to come back. Now, now at this point, God is going to allow foreign, the Syrians and Babylon eventually to come and take over, take them captive. But it was a reason he wanted to draw them back to himself. It wasn't just because he wanted to be mean. He wanted to capture their hearts again through the covenant that he made with them. And he speaks these words to them, and I I believe these parallel so well with the words that Jesus says, that I'm the bread of life, that you'll never hunger again when you come to me. See, when we come to Christ, we bring nothing to the table, but we gain everything. Jesus, for, for our sake, became poor so we could become rich. Jesus gave his life for our sins. It's the death we should have died, yet he dies for us because he loves us, because he knew that was the only way we could be reconciled back to a holy God. Let me read to you what Isaiah says here. Just a couple passages. You can read the whole verse later in Isaiah 55, but it's an invitation for those who are thirsty. Here's what happened. Israel chased other things and thought that was going to quench their thirst. And God says, that's not the way to approach me. You will never find it in this world. Stop looking for these things to satisfy, which only I can satisfy. And listen to what Isaiah said. This is so good as he speaks as the mouthpiece for God. It says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what is not satisfied? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful loved, promised to David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. I love the words here that Isaiah gives from the heart of God. God says, when you come to me, you don't come to What I'm giving you costs no money. What I give to you, it doesn't matter what your bank account says because it costs you no money. This is something that can't be bought. Why chase those things and those experiences that don't last? He's saying, come to me just as you are free. The things I give to you, the rest I want to give to you, the peace I want to give to you is free, but you have to come to me. And I'm the one that's going to pardon. I'm the one that will pardon your sin. I'm the one that will forgive you. But let me ask you a question this morning. What are you looking for to satisfy your soul? 
Are you looking at your circumstances to change? If just my circumstances change, then my soul will be satisfied. Then I will find. If you, what are you chasing? Here's what I would tell you. Chase Jesus and him alone. And allow him to help you through those difficult circumstances. He will never leave us or forsake us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Seek him and his faith. Allow him to give you his peace and rest that we so desire. You see, the people during Jesus' time that were following him, they sold short. They sold out. They sold out. They said, unless you do this for us, then we're going to stop following. And it just showed the depth of their faith that they missed out on something far greater that Jesus desired to give to them. Listen, sometimes God does, there's a desire we have and God fulfills that desire. Amen? I'm so glad for the the wife that God gave me. He fulfilled that desire. Praise God for my wife, Kathleen. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for my kids. But I always remember hearing this story. I forgot who said it. But they're all driving their kids to grandma's house for Thanksgiving. And it was a long drive. It was like four hours. And all the kids were like, Dad, can we stop at Burger King? No. We're hungry. Can we stop at McDonald's? No. And so they're like, why not? Why not? We're hungry. We're hungry. And they kept telling him, because what waits for you at the end of our journey is this huge banquet, a big turkey, mashed potatoes, yams with cinnamon and melted marshmallows. Did you hear my stomach just growl? Right? And if that's not good enough, if that's not good enough, grandma made her famous pumpkin pie, apple pie with cheese and whipped cream. Just wait. Because if we stop, it will ruin your appetite and you won't be thankful at the journey's end. Jesus says, be satisfied in me. There are some things that we'll have to traverse through But at the end, at the end, Jesus gives us ultimately himself, which is greater than anything that this world could ever provide for you. And I don't know why certain things happen the way they do. I'm not going to try to explain that. But I do know that Jesus is in control and he knows us and he loves us and he takes care of us if we put our complete trust in him, put your hope in him. And he will fulfill the desires of your heart. Don't sell short. Don't sell short. The reason why these words are difficult from Jesus is because he wants the best for us. He wants to give us himself, not something that fades away after one day. He says, I want to give you myself, the bread of life, the living water, that you will never hunger or thirst again. Amen? I don't know where you are, but I want to tell you today, chase Jesus, run after him, allow him to be your satisfaction today. Amen? God's word is good, isn't it? I'm thankful for, for, for Christ and what he does for us. So Father God, as we, as we bow our hearts before you today, um, Jesus, I thank you for these hard words. They are hard words and they're meant to be hard to cause us to reflect on what is important, what is true, 
And that Jesus, you want us to know you for who you are. That you are that bread of life. And I pray, God, that we would not sell ourselves short with things that cannot truly satisfy. And so, Lord, I pray for every person here today, whatever they're going through, whatever difficulty they're going through, I pray, Jesus, that you would show yourself to them. That, Lord, we would surrender ourselves to you, surrender our wants and our desires, and we would lay them at your feet. And we thank you for the joy and the peace in return that you give us. Even though the situation may be difficult, we thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. So we trust you and your character over what we're going through. So thank you for the hope that we ultimately have in Christ Jesus, that we will be with him forever. So Lord, I pray you would just touch hearts today. Reassure us today of your goodness, of your faithfulness. And Lord, give us the faith to trust you, even when it doesn't look good. Give us that faith to trust you, that you are working. And we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Can we thank God for his word today and just thank Jesus for who he is? Amen. 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 Would you stand with me? We're just going to close in song today. and just. Thank-